Welcome back to another episode of Impact is Own Impact 89 FM's own MSU Men's Basketball Podcast. I stumbled with my words there for a second, but I'm your host, Michael Markoch, alongside me, my beat members and co-host, Brendan Shabath, Luca Maloney. How are you guys doing, man? It's one week out of the Big Ten tournament. It's March, fellas. We're in the We're greatest here. month in the history of months right now. Yeah. Like, I couldn't be better. It's the best Sp- month. Spring year. breaks coming up, you know. I'm so excited. My birthday's in two weeks. No, like, it, ooh, it makes no go. sense. It was 50 degrees, like, yesterday, and it's going to snow, like, 10 inches tomorrow is what I'm hearing. So, I mean, March is off to a hot start. Yeah, it's been so far so good, but obviously we know about March. It's only going to get better. I, the Big Ten tournament starts next week in Chicago. The NCAAs will be after that. Some some of the smaller conference tournaments have just gotten underway this week, so starting to see some of those mid-majors get in, clinch their automatic bids, always a good time. But let's talk about Michigan State. Their last two games, obviously the two games that they've played since we last recorded, they've split in those games. Um, but it, it's hard to really tell where this team's going to go because they should be 2 and 0. They should have been 2 and 0 in the two games that they played. They had an they definitely could have been 0 and 2, but they end up with 1 and 1. Obviously they blow that 10-point lead, 48 seconds left in that game. They lose to Iowa in overtime 112 to 106, but then they bounce back against Nebraska after just a dismal first half, possibly the worst half of basketball I think they've played all year. Shoot the three ball, shoot the lights out. They beat Nebraska 80 to 67. But it's it's tough to get a read based on that Iowa game that really kind of it it kind of spoils this look for Michigan State, especially in the last two. Yeah, there are very few words to describe those last two games for Michigan State, you know, and everyone was just in disbelief after that Iowa loss. You think they would have it in the bag with forty eight seconds left, you know, and get a really hard um road win, you know, in Iowa City, not an easy place to win not an easy coach to beat in Fran. And, you know, and then you go over and then, yeah, you lose that one heartbreaker. You go back, you go to Nebraska, and then you just play some awful basketball for 20 minutes, and then you play your best basketball for the next 20. It's just a whirlwind of what just happened. Yeah, the the biggest thing that stands out to me from that Iowa game, and I went back and watched it after the fact uh, later that night and just completely tortured myself, um, and it's 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 really hard to watch the last four minutes, three minutes, because you know that everything that happens is leading to something bigger. Um, and we have the advantage of knowing that in the past. Hindsight is obviously twenty twenty. But when Malik Hall makes a free throw to go up ninety one to seventy eight with a minute and thirty four seconds left, Michigan State's win probability was the highest of the entire game at ninety nine point seven percent. Iowa had a 0.3% chance to win that game, and they did. And credit to Iowa. They made their shots. They kept the clock from dwindling down. They followed Michigan State in a timely manner. And some credit goes to Michigan State, too. Everybody, you know, wants to point out A.J. Hogard missing the free throw. Well, he went 11 for 12 in the in the regulation. Like, the one he missed was the deciding one and the last one, but he went 11 for 12. Like, that's amazing what he did down the stretch. And I think the blame, and Tom talked about it and he took the blame for it, has to go on the coaching. I understand that Joey Hauser is supposed to switch on that final Sanford three that tied it. Um, I understand that it's a live ball off the missed free throw and they didn't have time to set up the defense. But you're up three with less than 10 seconds left. Foul the other team. I don't care what happens. It's physically impossible for them to tie the game if you follow them and send them to the free throw line. I don't know why you would be stubborn and not go with the mathematically best idea and what makes it physically impossible for Iowa to get back in that game, and that's following them. I just don't understand it. Tom had mentioned post game two that there were no plans to foul up by three, which is just shocks me. I can't understand that thinking, that philosophy. You, you're you asking to lose games, and that's exactly what happened here. I, I'm one of the biggest proponents of I actually, as much as I think it is the right strategy to foul, I absolutely hate it, honestly, because I just, I don't like the idea of fouling when you're up three. Like, I don't know. I just I like those moments, those three pointers to win. It. I like I don't and like I, it as a I, fan. I to- trust that's me. what I'm saying. If it's anybody that I'm not rooting for, yeah. I, I don't want them to but foul. But in that moment, like, it's absolutely the right decision to fail. I'm not going to sit here and say it isn't. I personally don't like it. I like seeing those moments. Like I like 
letting them get the three off, maybe contested it. If they hit it, you know what? You got beat. But right. that's the other thing. The shot really wasn't contested. I mean, Sanford's kind of rolling. He's kind of fading to his left, but it, there was no hand up in his face. Yeah. And what disturbed me the most after seeing Hogard miss the free throw was basically what happened was Michigan State just all dropped back. Like, there wasn't nobody that stayed to pick up the ball. Like, that seems to be 101. That's what you learn in these full-court situations. The other team gets the rebound, the inbound, the basketball. Somebody's got to be in front of that man, making him walk the ball up the court or at least contest it. Iowa didn't have enough time to just walk it up, so you would have had to make them think. They might have had to rush something, maybe turn the ball over. They just let him sprint up the floor into the ha- into the front court. They got it over to Sanford, and then he hits the three that, again, was not contested. Um, and I, I have a bigger issue with that than the fact that you didn't foul because regardless of the fact whether you fouled or not, they still had to hit a three and you gave them a clean look that should never have came. Yeah, I, I understand the, you know, as a fan and a basketball purist, I can totally agree and understand they're not wanting to foul, but they're playing for something. But you win that game, you win that Iowa game, and then they go on to beat Nebraska, and then if they beat Ohio State... It changed State, the whole trajectory. You're in the top four of the Big Ten, and you get yeah. two days off in the tournament. And now they need a lot of help. They're, they're in such a better spot. And now look, Iowa crushes Indiana at home. Iowa's not Iowa's probably going to be a top four, four team. Yeah. So it that game changes so much. That's probably a quad one win because it's on the road as well if you win that game. And... You just can't score 101 points and lose. No, you just cannot. The sense of urgency had to be there in those final seconds, and it was just gone. And I think that's a big storyline that's been with Michigan State for a lot of this season. It's the sense of urgency down the stretch and where it matters was just not there. Uh, and it translated over to the next game because it just seemed like yeah. they were shell-shocked from those last 40 minutes against Iowa. It just didn't make any sense as to... You know, back to your guys' point, why not foul? You know, the urgency is there. If you have your most experienced players on the court, which usually happens, you know, when they play small ball, all those guys have been in that team and have played basketball long enough to know they have to stop the shooter, they have to foul him, get a hand on him immediately. Yeah, and Luca, you kind of went right where I was kind of going with that. You would have liked to see, after a loss like that, them come out against Nebraska just a couple of nights later and kind of take it all out on Nebraska, a team that you know that you're better than, that you beat pretty handily earlier this year in the Breslin Center, and they just come out flat. And like I said in the open, it was probably the worst half of basketball I think I've seen them play all year. They were settling for poor shots. They weren't guarding anybody, as Tom Izzo made abundantly clear at halftime of that game. Nebraska was getting anything that they wanted, three-point line in the mid-range, driving to the rack. Casey Tomonaga was just doing... Anything and everything. And I, at halftime, like, I had no confidence Michigan State was going to come back and win that game. Oh, me either. I I had zero confidence that they were going to come back and even tie the game. I said, wow. I was like, this is going to be a 15-point deficit for the rest of the second half. Because you just felt like it was senior night. They had that momentum. And that place can get loud. Like, that place can pack a punch. And and those guys were motivated, too, man. They were smiling on the court. They were were doing whatever they wanted. They were sweeping the floor with Michigan State. I was I was worried about Nebraska going into that game. I and I didn't I could never quite put my finger on why cuz I just that game stood out and I was like it worried me more than Iowa did to be honest. I'm like going to Lincoln, it feels like a trap game with senior day coming up. It just it felt like something that they could come in and sleepwalk in and they sure did, but I don't know what was said at halftime or what really flipped the switch. Maybe it's just that Tyson Walker is him, but other than that, I mean, they come out shoot the lights out in the second half from 3 and end up pulling away for a a big time victory against Nebraska, which was now their third straight game where the Spartans have scored over 80-plus, and their fourth straight of 72 or more. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are really shifting into Michigan State's favor, um, offensively at least, you know, in the national category. They're now up to 45th in the country in, de- in offensive efficiency. But on the flip side, the defense has slipped a little bit. You give up um, 112 points to... Iowa, you give up 84 to Michigan, um, 77 to Purdue not too long ago, and even 67 to a Nebraska team that's not that good um, offensively is kind of another slight to the defense. Um, But, I mean, if they can keep shooting the ball at the clip they're doing, like I think they can beat anybody. It's just not a very sustainable model. I think the only benefit that Michigan State has is teams who rely on the three as much as Michigan State does. Their three-point percentage is fifth in the country offensively. Um, as for teams that rely on the three-point that much, 
you have to shoot it enough to make it worth your while. Um, and they've been doing that pretty well lately, averaging over 20 attempts per game in the last few. They need to keep that number up if they're going to make a run in March. No, that's right. You know, second half of the season, we did see them release it from the three a lot more, um, especially down to the individuals, you know, going back to Joey Tyson, you know, Jaden getting getting some shots in from deep. That's the most important part, you know, and I think the focus changed into what Michigan State basketball tactically had to be, and that was, you know, if they're working the three-point line and they can make shots through there, you know, why not keep creating more avenues down that way? And the problem that I we've noticed, I think, in these last few games, Nebraska a little bit, at least for a half. It was a little better in the second half. But since we've seen this increase in Michigan State's offense, they're putting up a lot of points. They've also been giving up a lot of points as well. Like in that game against the Wolverines, they gave up 84. Then they go to Iowa, they give up 101 in regulation and end up 112 for the game. 67 to a Nebraska team that doesn't exactly light it up. They, it, they've kind of almost sacrificed some defense to have that offense back. But, I mean, Michigan State's got to be sitting there saying, if you're going to score 80 points a night, like, they'd have to feel pretty good about their chances to win those games. You'd have to think. Yeah, I mean, any game that, that you score 80, for a team like Michigan State, where the focus historically and for 30 years has been defense, you should win. Like, I, I understand circumstances. Like, in the SEC, you score 80. You're not guaranteed to have a win. Not Big 12, yeah. Pac-12, whatever. Um, but in the Big 10, with the focus being defense as a conference, and for Michigan State in particular, if you score 80 points, it should be a guaranteed win. And... That hasn't been the case. That's just what makes the Iowa game that much more frustrating. Exactly. Exact to score 101 points and regulate. You look at the numbers that they shot. They were 11 for 13 from deep. Yeah, 11 for 13. And Iowa chucked like 30 of them things. Yeah, Iowa was 17 for 26, I believe. And yeah. we saw what was it, four or five in the final minute 40, and a half? Yeah, 40 yeah. I think they hit their last six. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like we said earlier, credit to them. They did what they needed to do, but. You get 80, you should win. The defense has been kind of suffering as a result of the offense, and that's the offense is heartening and you know confidence instilling, and I know the fan base is really happy with the production offensively lately. And offense is more fun basketball, obviously, but you can't let the result be your defense slipping. And Tom mentioned that he thought of, you know that happened a little bit with Jaden and happened a little bit with AJ, that the defense wasn't quite where it used to be. And obviously we've seen Jaden have three good games in a row. So there's a little bit of worry for me there, but I think they can turn it around and they still have a very athletic backcourt defensively with AJ, Jaden, and Tyson. It's arguably one of the best backcourts in the country. So um, they're set up well in that regard but they can't let the defense slip too much more. Not too many teams. Uh, they've got the 45th best defense, or excuse me, 31st. Uh, that's 45 for offense. 31st best defense in the country uh, per Ken Palm. Not too many teams outside the top 25 make runs in the NCAA tournament. Defense really does win championships in March. Yeah, and they're certainly going to have to figure that out, but, Brendan, you touch on the backcourt. That's what I want to get into next. Some of these numbers from the last few games that we've seen from Michigan State. Tyson Walker is... He's on some type of heater right now, as some would say. He's averaging 24 points per game. He's shooting 58% from the floor and 71% from three over his last three games in just over 37 minutes per game. The number, obviously, that stands out there is 71% from three. I mean, he his confidence right now is at an all-time high. Obviously, the career high that he had against Iowa that kind of got spoiled. And then he comes out against Nebraska struggles a little bit in that first half and then just flat out takes over the game in the second. I mean, it was it was the Tyson Walker show and it was all weekend for Michigan State. Yeah, and when this team is performing well, it's usually because Tyson Walker is making tough shots and I think the confidence in this team raises when Tyson Walker has a type of game. But I think a lot of the uh, this Tyson Walker game specifically against Nebraska doesn't happen without a better second half from AJ Hogard next to him. You know, and that for me was the key difference. Is uh, AJ was sharper. His decision, his decision making was much better. Career in the high second fourteen half. assists. Career high fourteen assists. He falls. I think. I think he ties Magic Magic Johnson like in third or fourth place in MSU's all time, um, in, like in a assist per game, in assist in a game. And yes, you know, there's a lot of moving parts as to why Tyson Walker's played so well in the last three games, and a lot of it has to do with his teammates.
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an interesting dynamic that we're starting to see that I, I think it was maybe something the Michigan within the Michigan State program or the coaching staff was aware of would be the case that we as fans and media weren't sure about was how the dynamic between A.J. and Tyson would go. And A.J. certainly will get his points. You know, he had 10 against Nebraska. Um, I think it was 8 or 10 against Iowa. Um, sometimes he'll have a big game, too. Um, or I think he had more against Iowa. He had, like, a yeah, quiet, like, 20-something, well, right? Yeah, he, he had 11 free throws. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but A.J. is the floor general and the leader and distributor. He's the one who keeps the guys in check, both offensively and defensively. He's calling out people in the huddle. He's calling the plays, and he is distributing the basketball. Tyson is the main benefactor of that and the main weapon that Michigan State has offensively because Michigan State's offense, I think a lot of people talk about the fact that it's stagnant, and we have talked about it too. I've been critical of this. The fact that it's stagnant and there's a lot of iso ball and players standing around. The way they run their offense is they run the first set, the first option. If that's not there, play ball. Right, So when that happens, you get the ball to your playmakers. A guy like Malik gets a lot of looks off of that where he can drive. Same thing for Jaden, a couple dribble pull-ups, quick release, catch and shoot three. Um, Hogard will sometimes you know, use a high screen and go. And then Tyson Walker, probably the best in that situation, in isolation, hand in his face. That's usually late in the shot clock when the first option of the first set didn't work either. Um, and then off the high screen, getting into the mid-range and, and slicing and dicing up a bigger defender. So I I don't know that we quite knew that was going to be the dynamic and the layout and maybe the scouting report when Tyson first got here and through everything last year. I think we still thought he was going to be a point guard in the sense that he'd be handling the ball and running the plays, which he really doesn't. If Tyson runs a play, it's a high screen and roll for himself to do what he wants with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mostly ISO, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we are really seeing there. I forget, and forgive me, who the analyst was for the Nebraska game. There was an in-studio analyst, I should say. Uh, I think it might have been Rick Pizzo, um, or maybe he's the host of The Big Show, which is the Big Ten Network studio show. And um, he said, and I, I think I agree with him, there is not anybody in the Big Ten, probably in the country, that I would rather have take a late game or a late shot clock shot than Tyson Walker. I think he has proven, like at least in the Big Ten, I think through the other teams, you think of Indiana, okay, Jalen Hood-Shafino, Trace Jackson Davis, Purdue, okay, Zach Eady, Fletcher Lawyer, uh, Boo Booey at Northwestern, Terrence Shannon at Illinois, Kobe Bufkin at Michigan, kind of. Nobody really stands out as better, I think, than Tyson Walker, or or who has proven themselves better, at least, than Tyson Walker in crunch time, either in the shot clock or at the end of the game. I mean, the the stuff that he does, some of the shots he made at Nebraska were just unreal. Tom Izzo said they should be illegal. He should be arrested for those. Uh, and I think he's right, because that was criminal, what he was doing to that Nebraska defense. Yeah, and I mean, the step back threes, the sidestep, man, it's just... It's just watching really exciting basketball with him. I mean, he just chucks the ball, and it doesn't even hit the rim is the best part. All of his shots, straight through the hoop. You know, it doesn't even make a sound. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for Tyson, this is really good for him. I think this is this increases his stock a lot in the way he's played in the last few games. Just a very confident guy. He's, you know, he's an underse- you know, you can call him an undersized guard, but he's he can play the shooting guard too is what I think he's proven this season is – you know, a different sort of sh- a shooting guard, you know, kind of playing the dual point. But it's very exciting with Tyson. Yeah, and another guard that's played very well. I mean, everyone's playing well, especially on the offensive side. But Jay Nakin stands out as well. Over the last two, obviously, that Nebraska game and the Iowa game, 19 points per game, 54% from the floor and 69% from three. Like, this is the Jaden Akins that we've been told that we were supposed to see, as Tom Izzo said, he was the best player on this team over the summer, and he's finally starting to find a stroke. Like He feels like somebody that, in the moments, whether it's with the shot clock winding down or whether you need a play to make, Jaden Akins is getting the ball a lot, and he's been able to execute whether it's that little dribble pull-up, whether it's a spot-up shot from three. He's just He's been delivering. Yeah, I, I have been really impressed. We talked about it uh, early January, mid-January, about like, man, Jaden Nakins is quietly so he's good. Weird, All of a sudden, he? he's got 15 <laughs> points, and we're like, I didn't even know Jaden was playing. It's That's changed. It's louder now. Yeah, it is louder, and he is asserting himself more. He takes some shots that I think are not good shots, you know, some 
early shot clock ones, some catch-and-shoot threes where he doesn't exactly look open when he catches it, some one-dribble pull-ups, but he's making them, so who the hell cares? Um, so I, I really like the way Jaden has elevated himself. I still think Tom put it perfectly a few months ago when he says when he emphasized that Jaden needs to be quick and not hurry. I still think he hurries a little bit too much. We've seen a couple of travels, maybe a couple of turnovers where he loses the ball, dribbles Shooting it off a little bit. Is it like, the, is it like, more like the legs yeah. are moving faster than the mind? Right, exactly. Like I think it's the I think it's the inverse. His mind is going he's so athletic and so fast that he knows he can do all that, but you still have to be deliberate and in, in look it yeah. into the hand, yeah. do with the jab, you know, and put it on the floor before you take that second step. All of that still has to happen. Before, you know, you still have to take your time. Basketball is a fluid and artistic game, and having speed and all of that is good. But, like, 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 think about someone like Cassius Winston, for example. Cassius Winston is by no means the fastest or most athletic player to come through Michigan State or to be a point guard. I mean, you could argue he's on the lower end of the spectrum in that regard. But his first step was so fast and he was so deliberate and fluid in his motion that he could do anything. He would go through three defenders and put up a shot and I don't know how he got it off, but he would and he would make it. So I think if Jaden can kind of model that a little bit more and just be more attentive, you know, movement with purpose is what coaches always preach. I think if Jaden can do that a little bit more, he'll be unstoppable. He's been lights out lately and a huge offensive boost that they needed when they're really not getting any, getting anything from the bench at the moment other than Malik Hall, which is a de facto starter. He doesn't really count anyways as you know points off the bench. Um, they're counting on Aikens at this point, and he needs to keep it up, but he's been consistent, I think, almost the last two months. All right, well, that's going to do it at least for the recap portion of this show now it's time to get into the bulk part the and this is stuff. the fun part because right. i was talking to the guys about it this week uh obviously we're going to be doing the bracket for the big 10 tournament next week right before we leave to go to chicago but since we don't know the seating yet we're going to wait for that till next week but so this week we're going to give out some awards here and we're going to do big 10 awards in this episode here coach of the year freshman of the year offensive and defensive players of the year player of the year and then our specialty this year the fun one the game of the year, so the best game that we thought we watched this season in the Big Ten. Let's start with Coach of the Year. Brendan and I are on the same page with this one, so I guess we'll start. Um, we're both going with Chris Collins from Northwestern. Now, I think this is a slam dunk. Um, again, if you would have told me back in October that Northwestern would be in the top four in the Big Ten, let alone in second place for a majority. They've, they've had a couple losses here in a row that have kind of made them slide, but they're probably still going to finish in the top four. I, I wouldn't have believed you if you would have told me that. And they came into East Lansing in December, and they beat the Spartans, and everyone was panicking. Oh, the sky's falling. We lost to Northwestern. And we sat here on the show, and we told you guys, Chris Collins has got a squad on that team, and that's a team who's taken on the personality of their head coach and – there's a reason that they're here, and it's Chris Collins. Yeah, I, I'm a little concerned with the three-game skid at the absolute wrong time. They're losing to good teams. They lost to Illinois, Maryland, and Penn State. Um, losing to Penn State at home in overtime is not, Penn State played out of their mind. Not good. Yeah, they did. But um, Illinois and Maryland on the road, that's understandable. I'm a little concerned about that. They do got a tough game, too, on the road at Rutgers to finish the season. Um, but it cannot be denied what Northwestern has done this year. Their defense is so much better than it was in years past, and Chris Collins has reinvented that team. And you look at Ryan Young and Pete Nance, guys at Duke and North Carolina. <clears throat> um, though they were on Northwestern last year, and Northwestern really didn't get much better on paper. Um, roster-wise from last year to this year. The, people thought they were going to take a slide, and last year they were playing on Wednesday in the Big Ten tournament. So for them to be as good as they have been despite losing two of their best players, I mean, in the Northwestern game that Michigan lost last year, um, or maybe it was close and they didn't lose. Didn't they lose at they home? Lost they, yeah, they lost Northwestern last They lost last year. Ryan Young went crazy off the bench. Pete Nance didn't play in that game. It was a last minute. Um, he had foul, or no, he had a, a, an ankle injury or something like that. So Ryan Young was their go-to guy, and he went crazy off the bench. He was a huge factor for them last year. 
and Boo Booey is uh, one of my favorite players to watch. I love what Northwestern has done. I just hope they turn it around and can still make a run in the Big Ten and NCAA tournament. That's what we really don't know about this team. We know they're going to defend. We know they're going to steal some road games in the Big Ten. They've already done that this year. We have no idea what they're capable of in the postseason because we haven't seen it with Chris Collins yet. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we know about Boo Booey and the numbers that he's putting up, but it's who else around him is going to step up in those tournament moments when Teams are going to take Boo Booey away. Like, right. simply put, they're going to do that. Who's going to step up in those moments? We haven't quite seen it in those games. But how do Chase Audige and Ty exactly. Berry do in a crunch time Big Ten Robbie tournament Barron game? Down yeah. low. But Luca, you went a different direction here, and I actually really like this pick from you as well. You went with Mike Woodson. Yeah, I mean, credit to Chris Collins. I mean, I love the guy, and I think he's done a fantastic job at Northwestern. But you know, I, I had to go with a little something a little different to spice things up. I went with Mike Woodson. I love the season that Indiana had. They had some really big wins. I mean, early in the season they got that win over North Carolina. Granted, at the time they were still projected to be a really good team to what they are now. But you know, later in the season, Indiana does a great job getting tough wins. Uh, you know, here at Michigan State. Uh, at no, no, actually, at, at, you know, sorry, at Assembly Hall they got that win. They got the win at Illinois. They got a win in Wisconsin. Uh, they come back, you know, and they beat um, Purdue, you know, in Bloomington at Assembly, and you know, just a lot of great wins that you can name for this season for Indiana basketball. They're still sitting what third in the table in the Big Ten standings. Um, just a significant improvement to for me how he's how Mike Woodson has improved the player personnel on that team. You know, Jalen Hutchfino, you know, he was a freshman of the year last time, you know, comes back, has a very strong season. You know, Tracy Jackson Davis, you know, just strong performances all year. Um, you know, and getting the best out of Trey Galloway, too, when he's healthy. Just, I love the way he's treated his players and, you know, the, the product that you see on the on Indiana basketball. I think it's a bigger accomplishment, too, than people are really understanding in the fact that Indiana, for the second time in program history, you think about storied pro the most historic programs in college basketball you think about ucla duke indiana north carolina i think michigan and michigan state are both kind of in that conversation but that's for another day but in the entire history of indiana basketball this year was the second time ever they swept an ap ranked purdue team and they didn't just do it to an ap ranked purdue team they did it to a purdue team who was 23 and one at one point in this season and Always, when they finally got ranked and were in the top five, they didn't get out of it. So for them to do that and lose Xavier Johnson early in the season back in the non-conference and go the whole Big Ten slate without him, like you talked about, the development under Mike Woodson of Jalen hood Shafino and Trey Galloway. Tamar Bates has had some huge games. The way Trace Jackson Davis has reinvented himself as a player, his ability to pass the ball now, that's a coaching thing. And in, in the second year under Mike Woodson, they're really impressive. You could see them put it together at the end of last year. They make that run in the Big Ten tournament towards the end of the Big Ten season. Um, and that just kind of continued this year. A couple hiccups along the way, but um, Indiana's a really good team and a really fun team to watch. Another guy that I think is a sleeper that I mentioned yeah. before we started, Fran McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. I know the people listening to this podcast, the audience that we have, are going to hate that. But... You cannot deny Look at the run they're on. You cannot deny what Fran. Yeah, (laughs) you cannot. As as I fly across the room, no. (laughs) Someone's staring at us like Fran McCaffrey stared at the referee. They're just staring, listening. Now that was pitiful. That was awful. And he should be. He should have gotten a tech and should be fined for that. But they've got the third best offense in the entire country. In the last what is it? Six games. They're four and two with wins over Michigan State. In Indiana, that Indiana win, they pummeled them 90 in to assembly 68 Hall. at yeah. Assembly. And think about the players they lost last season. Obviously, yeah. it was Keegan Murray. You lost Wieskamp. You lost Bohannon. Those were like your three go-to scores. You lost all of them. Yeah. And you're just as good. Yeah, and so they still got Connor and Patrick, his sons, who are still knocking it down from deep. I think Philip Rabracha has been one of the biggest surprises. I think he's one of the most slept-on big men in the entire conference. Oh God, he was giving Michigan State hell. Oh, for yeah. Aaron Uless, yeah. man. That and, dude steps up and, and knocks if, down if shots. If we're being honest and unbiased, Iowa should be 2-0 against Michigan State this year. Yeah. Sam Fort should have hit one of those shots in, in the Breslin Center and won that game for Iowa. Well, he hit enough yeah. in Carver-Hawkeye, I think, right, to make to up for it. Up for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 112 freaking points. But um, And this is this is Iowa doing again what they did last year. And what they do a lot is 
they play really good basketball in February and March. Like, people don't like Fran McCaffrey, and I get it, but you have to give him his props. There's a reason he's still there in Iowa City. Like, it's because he wins, and he wins at the right time, and I know they can't do it in the NCAA tournament. Last year was pitiful, the way they make that run in the Big Ten. Win um, the tournament. Yeah, win the Big Ten tournament, and then lose in the first round to St. Mary's. Oh, come Richmond, on. wasn't it? Uh, or Yeah, it was Richmond, one of those blue and red teams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the, the, the spiders took him out. But I, I, you have to appreciate what Fran has done, and you can't deny his success. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. If there was going to be, I mean, I think we've nailed, I mean, hit the nail on the head. I mean, obviously, you can talk about other names. I mean, Matt Painter for Purdue winning the Big Ten, that's obviously going to be one. But just with yeah. the slide, he might have had it in the bag had they not kind of gone down yeah, a and, bit and of a slide here. I think that's easy to do, though, in hindsight, where... If you want to look even further back, where was Purdue projected? They were, I think, they were projected like, to win. No, nah, Indiana was projected. Oh, to win. that's Purdue, true. Purdue wasn't even ranked to start the season. Indiana was a oh, like a true. top ten team. Purdue, I think, was projected like fifth well, or sixth. Might have been, been, been you, you look at you look at who Purdue lost. They lost Travion Williams and Jaden Ivey. Nobody knew Edie was going to be this good as a passer. Nobody knew Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith were going to be this good as freshmen. And yeah. Matt Painter has coached them to be a way better team than their talent is. They're not that talented of a team. No. But Mason, he said that. But Mason Gillis and Caleb First are, as Tom Izzo put it, the best role players in the country. They play their, they role, understand their role so well. They do, yes, they and they, they execute. That's the biggest thing. To understand your role is one thing. To execute and play that way is another. And then Lawyer and Smith have been way... They have been way better than they really are as basketball players. And that's because Matt Painter has put them in a position to succeed. It helps when you got someone 7-4 on the floor. But still, I think Fletcher Lawyer has been really impressive. Braden Smith has a lot of composure that I see as a freshman. Um, and then you have the National Player of the Year. And he's not the National Player of the Year because he's 7-4. It's because he's great at basketball. And I think Tom Izzo touched on it in that game down in Mackey. And obviously, we're going to get on to the other awards here in just a second. But how he talks about how unselfish that team is. Like, that's the personality of their head coach. How Matt Painter's gotten them all to buy into this where, look— like, get the ball to Zach Eady. Like, you may not get certain... You're not going to put up a bunch of points because we need to get the ball to Zach Eady, and he's going to do his thing, but then the unselfishness of Eady too, to give it up. Like, it's... They're they're a team. They're, they're one of the best teams in the country, even though they don't necessarily have all of the best players. And despite what has happened in the last, what is it, six games for Purdue, um, two and four in that stretch, three of those four losses are on the road. Indiana, mm-hmm. Northwestern, and Maryland. The only one that got him was Indiana. Yeah. Indiana got him at home as well, and then the Rutgers lost early in the season at yeah. home. Like That's, that's it. N- those are not bad. Even Indiana at home. is They don't have a bad loss this season, and they've got The worst one was getting destroyed by it at Maryland. That's probably the worst one. It's four, how it looked. 14 is destroyed. Like We've seen some 30-point scores in the Big Ten. Look at, look at what Iowa just did at Indiana. No, that's fair. You know? So uh, it, it's... You may, you bring up a good point. That's that's their worst loss. That's what I'm but saying. That's I don't their think worst it's a one. bad loss. Maryland's twentieth in the country on Ken Palm, and at home they're a different animal. Exactly. So, but, and that yeah. was a crazy atmosphere, and that was that yeah. was. I don't think that was their senior day, but one of the last home games of the year for Maryland. So, right. th- th- Purdue doesn't have a bad loss. Well, let's move on now to freshman of the year, and this is the one where I defer from you too. And I actually can't believe that I did this because look, I love Bryce Sensabaugh, and I look, I I'm I'm. Buckeye biased at heart. I really, really, truly am. I grew up on that team. But you two have Bryce Sensabaugh. I'll let you guys talk about him a little bit before I get to my pick. But Yeah, I just think I think team success does play a factor in individual awards because, you know, it's it's the argument that I have always made, like, against LeBron and against other players for the greatest of all time. Like, whoop-de-doo, you scored 150 points, but you didn't win the game. So yep. who cares? But for Bryce to be having the numbers he has as a freshman in the Big Ten is really impressive. Uh, 16 points a game, five rebounds, 48% from the floor is really, really good for a freshman. A lot of times we see freshmen with high scoring numbers, and it's at a low field goal percentage, below 40%. For him to be at 48 and 41 from deep, Mm -hmm. not a super high volume, but still, um, that's unreal. And I think... He has been kind of a a victim of circumstance a little bit where 
Like, I can't believe Justice Suing has not been a bigger factor for Ohio State. Like, he has really been He's disappointed this such year. a disappointment for them. I think Zed Key has been such a disappointment for them. I think Chris Holtman has been such a disappointment the for them. The whole team has been disappointing, but Bryce Sensabaugh has stood out. He's regardless. done, what, he, he's done yeah. what they expected him to do and what he's supposed to do. And the team's success just didn't go along with that, and that's not his fault. I think he's been the best first-year player in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, without a doubt, you know, that's why I picked him here, too. My second choice was Jet Howard. I'll get into that in a little bit. But Bryce Sensabaugh, I mean, I think he's just very advanced for his age. I think he's a super versatile player, a super versatile scorer. And, you know, you put him, you know, you put him together with the right pieces. He can just be so much more powerful than he already is. Um, You know, for me, it wasn't much of a question adding him. Like I said, I thought Jet Howard for me was second on the list just because of his scoring efficiency. Uh, you know, he's shooting at 41%, but he did a lot for Michigan, you know, while he was, you know, getting back from being healthy and all that. Um, he's 37% from deep, too, and he chucks them. He chucks them. Like, yeah. he puts up a lot of threes. Uh-huh. He, yeah, he can shoot them from very, you know, from logo, so, you know, from you know, 30, deep in the corner. Yeah, 37% isn't impressive in today's college basketball world, but at the level that he, I think he he's their leading three-point attempt shooter for Michigan, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, both Brendan and Luca go with Bryce Sensabaugh, a, a very deserving pick. I went a different direction with this one. I'm going with Jalen hood Shafino as my freshman of the year in the Big Ten, mainly for the fact of, number one, I do put team results ahead in a lot of categories because I do believe that that is the most important thing is are you winning? That's fair. But number two, he stepped in to fill a massive hole for this Indiana team with Xavier Johnson going yeah. down so early in the year. And then he has to come in be the starting point guard for a top 25 team with national championship expectations, and he has played extraordinarily well. I mean, you look at his numbers here at the end of the year, they don't blow you away, 13 points, 4 rebounds, and almost 4 assists, but that's a really good number considering you got TJD, who's leading you in almost every statistical category, and to me it's just been for Jalen Huchifino in the big games this season. He has come through. Just look at the other night, that game Saturday night at Purdue, 35 points in Mackey to beat the Boilermakers. Like, plain and simple, he was the best player on the floor that night. And I just think he's stepping up in big moments, and he had some really big shoes to fill because we know how good Xavier Johnson is and how good he has been for Indiana in the past. To step in like that as a freshman and keep Indiana afloat in a very weird year for this team, I think that he's more than deserving for this spot. Yeah, I, I, I really like Jalen Huchifino. Before that Iowa game, he had five double-figure games in a row, including the 35 at Purdue. Um, I think he's he's probably the best hooper of the freshmen in the Big Ten. Like, Jalen Huchifino has that dog in him. He's got that Mamba mentality. He's so athletic, and he's uh, like a basketball artist, I kind of say. I think Sensabaugh is a, almost a, a freak of nature, a physical beast who uses That's it an to NBA his player. advantage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think both, both of them are. are. Oh. Yeah. I think they both yeah. translate very well to the NBA in as a different type of I'm just of saying, player. like, Sensabaugh looks like your prototypical right, like right, NBA wing. Right. Like, you know he's going to be yeah. good. I think Hood Shafino has been impressive for his size at the point guard spot. It's typically a smaller uh, stature in the Big Ten at the point guard position, and he sets Indiana up well to make a run when they're playing teams not in this conference. Um, he'll be able to hang with some of the bigger guys around the country um, at some of these other schools, um, and I don't know that the same can be said for the other Big Ten um, point guards. And I think what's been impressive for me is his defense. Um, being that much bigger, you're typically a little bit slower than some of those smaller, faster guys. And he sticks with them, and he is he is a pest on defense. Um, I really like that pick as well. All right, well, that'll do it for freshman of the year. We move on now to offensive player of the year. And this is the first one where all three of us have gone in different directions. We'll start with you, Brendan. Interesting one here. I know we just talked about him a little bit. You went with none other than Tyson Walker. Yeah, the only Michigan State Spartan right now on our list. Um, Offensive Player of the Year is an interesting award, and I think I take it a little bit of a different direction. And like we have Player of the Year, and we could have, and we don't have MVP, but that's kind of the same thing. That's Player of the Year. Yeah, Um, I think because you have player of the year, offensive player of the year should be a little bit different. Yeah. And naturally, player of the year is going to be someone who has fantastic offensive numbers and also does more than that um, 
in in the game. But I don't know that there is a team in the Big Ten who is more dependent on one player to succeed offensively than Michigan State is with Tyson Walker. I think you look back and you think about his games in which he has struggled, it usually means that Michigan State has struggled as well. Um, obviously, he has 31 against Iowa. Only 11 against Michigan, they lose. 12-9 and nine against Rutgers and Purdue, they lose. 8 against Indiana, they lose. Um, 14 against Illinois, that was a pretty good game for him. Nine against Northwestern, they lose. Twelve against Notre Dame. Like, twelve is not a Tyson Walker game. Tyson should, he's almost averaging 15. He should score more than 15 a game. We're, I mean, right now, you'd expect 20-plus a game. Yeah, and with what he has done in the last three or four for Michigan State, and just the, the nature of the way he plays. Like, you can tell when Tyson makes a regular jumper and when he makes one that clicks and when he makes one that clicks you are in for a ride and it's it's so cool I think watching him play because he's just simply not a three-point shooter I'll die on this hill Tyson is not a three-point shooter he needs to get that 10 foot and that 12 foot to drop and then the range extends to 15 and 18 and 22 and 25 and 30 and all of a sudden he's at the logo chucking some of these and they're going down and you know they're not going to miss I, I love the way he plays I don't think there's a team more dependent on one player's offensive success to the team success than Michigan State and Tyson Walker. Um, and like I said, too, it also goes back to the best crunch time player in the conference, I think, for sure. Luca, you went with the... I, I, most people would probably assume that this would be the favorite to get this, but Zach Eady. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you go to Zach Eady, there's a lot of things because obviously, you know, for me, you know, we're going to talk about this later. You know, he's a big in the play, uh, just player of the year conversation for... For Michigan, I mean, for for Big Ten basketball, but the biggest thing for me that separated for Zach Eady in this stat. Oh God, if they can show me all the stats, oh where to go? Brendan will make some right, sort of it, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, no, it's right here. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> yeah, I just found a number on Ken Palm that I should have said before. Yeah, <laughs> but for for Zach Eady, I mean, the guy averages twenty two point three games. But the stat that stands out to me the most is the 5.5 offensive rebounds per game, and it's not just because he is massive and because he's you know he's the first one to get it with his hands up, but it's that offensive efficiency that he produces that you know if it, if his teammate is going to chuck a shot and it's going to take a bounce off the front iron, he's going to be the first one to get it put back into points. He just generates points and points and points, so it's difficult for me to put him out of the conversation on offensively this guy is just insane to deal with you know there, there are very few answers to stop him already with the size and speed with the ball but the guy can pass too he sets up his teammates and he just has quick feet inside the lane to just put it up here's what's crazy to me about Zach Eady this could change with one game left but I doubt it but in the last two years percentage wise he's been the best offensive rebounder in the country and I know that he's seven four, but still, a couple of years ago he was slow. He was and, it was a struggling rebounder. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. so the way he has improved every year is I love Zach Eady so much. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's a very easy pick. And look, Zach Eady could win almost all of these awards, except for obviously like freshman of the year. But um, I went a little different again as both of you. But I went with TJD. I went with Trish Jackson Davis just because, like the importance that he has to Indiana. We talk about reliance on him and offense. I still remember that game in Assembly Hall. Brendan's calling the game, and I'm sitting right next to him. We're almost laughing because there's just a sequence. It was Jalen Hutchifino brings it up, gives it to Trace Jackson Davis. Now back to Hutchifino. Now back to Jackson Davis. And it was like Jackie Moon. Hutchifino was just giving it back to Jackson Davis every time and just letting him go to work. And I mean, he ended up going for 30-plus in that game. But it isn't just his numbers there in the points category. Of course, 20 points per game, 11 rebounds. He leads this team in assists at 3.8 uh, at center. And that's something that we talked about, just how good Jalen huchifino has been and how the other guards have been so far. He's their leading assist man, too. He gets the ball on the block. He attracts so much attention. And then he's smart enough and patient enough, and he always seems to make the right decision. We were talking about when they came to Michigan State just last week, about he had seven turnovers, and that felt so abnormal of how Michigan State was able to cause so much chaos when it came to, came to Trace Jackson Davis. But overall, 
again, we talk about how important he is to a team's offense. Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana's nothing without him on the offensive side. And I just think with his all-around game, with how he can score, how he can pass, and how he can rebound, I just think that's who he is. Plus, he shoots at a very high percentage. Yeah, I just, my thing with Trace Jackson Davis and why I argue Tyson Walker over him is because Trace Jackson Davis has had career games he has a loss with 30 points, a loss with 23, a loss with 26 this yeah. year. I think if Tyson ever scores that many points for Michigan State, they're going to win the game pretty much. Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, the Iowa game doesn't count. He scored 31 and they which lose. Is, and 30 against is, Purdue and they which lose. Which is not his own fault. But that's that's why like, I think for Offensive Player of the Year, and I know this is so strange to say because you look at the NBA and the NCAA in today's world, the best players, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, um, are big men. But I just I don't vote big men for Offensive Player of the Year. I don't think it's skill. I don't think it's talent. I think it's – obviously these guys are talented basketball players, but you are just bigger than everybody as well. You should be able to average 20 and 10. Um, I think it's – there's Tyson Walker is like six foot two or whatever, and he – puts buckets up over Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady with a hand in his face. That's why I think that's more impressive, and he should be the Offensive Player of the Year. It's definitely not going to happen. It's going to be one of those two that you guys mentioned. But I just hate the big men yeah. for the offensive category. I I, I'll, I'll take it for MVP. I'll take it for Player of the Year. I'll take it for defensive. But for offense, there's so much more skill. And like I said, basketball is a game of art. And big men are so mechanical and clunky. It's yeah. just not fun. But see, that's like what I like. That's the difference between me. Well, when it comes to Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady with me, I just think Jackson Davis is a little undersized. Yes, he is bigger than That's true. He He's is like bigger than nine. everybody else for the most part, but he is undersized and he has to rely on his skill a lot more than someone like Zach Eady does. No, that's where right. He's yeah. seven four can literally just drop it in the basket. Yeah. Yeah. So not to say Zach Eady I mean Zach Eady's a brilliant basketball player, but that's just kind of where my head is. No, no, yeah. I see both of you guys' point to this. You know, that's and I mean that's what makes it interesting. If only the Big Ten committee can listen to us and make us right. judges, you know. Fine. Right. We get a vote for right uh, the all-tournament team. All-tournament teams, yeah, yeah. and MVP. Yep. All right, let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. And no shocker here, Luca and I, once again, going with Zach Eady. I, yeah. I did, and, and this was actually very tough for me, too, because I had a very good argument I had a very good argument for Tracy Jackson Davis in for Defensive Player of the Year, but I ended up, you know, you and I both ended up going for Zach Eady. Uh, my biggest thing with Zach Eady is, again, the team performance. You know, when your team wins as many games as this, it's not usually because your offense is just brilliant, but it's because your defense knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and yes, they have been on the wrong side of some like tough losses, Purdue, but so has every other Big Ten team in this conference. Um, but yeah, it was a toss up between Edie and Tracy Jackson Davis, as you know, Brendan will explain in a, in a little bit. Um, and that's just because Tracy Jackson Davis has uh, two points. He, he's averaging what two point six, two point eight blocks at on six year. nine. At six nine, yeah, very impressive, very impressive. But ultimately, in this decision for Defensive Player of the Year, it also contributes to how the team does defensively. And for me, it was Zach Eady. I went with Edie as well, just because again, we we we've, we've seen Purdue twice this year. We've seen him live. The presence that he has in the paint. I mean, there are just guards that are completely unwilling to go in there. They don't want any part of that just because they know if they go up, he's probably going to block your shot if you can't get it high enough. And also, the way he can defend without fouling with someone with a body his size, as Brendan just touched on, sometimes he's a little more clunky and it's hard for him to move quickly and stay in front. It's easy to be clumsy, you know, at that. that It's something we keep yelling at Mati Sissoko for of just Mm -hmm. defend without fouling. And he has improved in that regard, but Zach Eady. If he picks up three fouls in a game, it's a stunner. It's an eye-opener right it's there. It's definitely yeah. weird. And so just his overall presence, obviously the block shots are, I mean, they are what they are, but just the presence and the idea that teams fear Zach Eady in the paint, for me, that's enough. He's my defensive player of the year. Brendan, you, I mean, Luca kind of spoiled yeah. it, but you're going with DJD here. Trace Jackson Davis averages three blocks a game, and... <laughs> To your last point about Trace Jackson Davis, he's 6'9". He's undersized, and he averages three blocks a game, leads Indiana all-time in career blocks, and broke a record early enough in this season. I think I think he, he broke it or tied it in the Michigan State game at Bloomington. So he's going to set a record that won't be broken forever. 
and Bloomington. So um, I, I think he has an underrated I, – I see what you guys talk about with Edie imposing his will defensively, um, and you make a good point that you know guards and smaller players just will simply not go in the paint. We saw Michigan State be yeah. scared to drive at all against Purdue, especially in Mackey Arena. Um, but Trace Jackson Davis, what he does for being his size um, defensively, it's more than people, I think, give him credit for. And I think it has a different impact that is also beneficial in the fact that, like, it's one thing to just have this menacing monster with a dark hood on, you know? Like, like Edie, I just think of, like, this villain at the top of a volcano that you don't go through that volcano or up it because... You know, the monster's up there. That's why you don't go in the paint when Zach Eady's in there. Trace Jackson Davis is a little bit different in the fact that, like, it's so demoralizing as a basketball player, especially if you're on your opponent's floor, to go up and get the ball launched into the fourth row. And that's the kind of blocks that Trace Jackson Davis has. He has a lot in transition, too. Those are heart killers as well, the ones that get stuffed up on the glass. He's got such a high or such a long wingspan that he can get them pretty high on the glass as well. I mean, he had five in the game against Michigan State. So that's why I went with Trace Jackson Davis. And to be averaging three a game um, at that size at 6'9", is just really impressive. No, I want to also point out something in, in Trace that the biggest shocker to me was that he went from averaging almost two to you know a, a whole another level. You yeah, know? and people don't like really realize how difficult that is for blocks, and he's he's averaging almost a steal a game as well mm-hmm. to go along with leading yeah. Indiana in points and rebounds. He leads them in, in in every category, and I they're. Mean, a top 20 team in the country. You know, something to be said for that, yeah. Yeah. So now it's time to move on to the big one, the player of the year, and this is, surprisingly, shock. It's the only one we're, we're all unanimous on. It it shouldn't go to anyone else. It, it's Zach Eady, plain and simple. I mean, he's the national player yeah, of the year. Exactly. There's not a better player in college basketball um, than Zach Eady. I think there are more talented players. I think there are players who do more with less size, but Zach Eady's the best player in college basketball, by far. There's... I don't know how you stop him. I think you, all you can do is hope to contain him. Some teams have done that very minimally this year. Um, he's far and away the best that we've seen in the Big Ten this year. And that's kind of part of the reason I tried to not pick him for other categories as well because we someone was, yeah, someone we might be the best defender, the best freshman, the best offensive player. Nobody's overall better than Zach it, Eady. It's like he's the, good it, at everything. It's like when you say, like, you, we know Zach Eady's first, so let's just give the prize second place and then give Eady the big one. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, yeah, no, that's totally fair <laughs> yeah i mean i yes yeah, like i went for Edie because there's just an argument for him being the best in those categories yeah but yeah overall, it's totally fair but yeah I mean. overall i mean it's you can't be wrong you can't be right in this situation yeah luca you went with zach Edie for offensive defensive and player of the <laughs> yeah. year i mean that just shows how good he is though because he's probably going to win all of those yeah. Yeah. including on top of, the year of too have you ever seen his instagram page big golf guy he can golf yeah oh man golf. after my own heart Big golf yeah, guy. But Zach Eady should win Big Ten Player of the Year. I don't. I it's probably going to be unanimous. I couldn't imagine anyone else really getting a vote first place. But now it's time to get into the fun one, Game of the Year. Luke, I see you already put yours in here, so I'll wait. Brendan and I will go after. Oh, you want it's me to? Kind of a you heart, want me to go? It's kind of a heartbreaker, but it is. Yeah, it was I, a great game. I mean, Jesus, how many times are you going to find a game where you score over a hundred points, both teams? Right. You know, and you know that, and I'm talking about the Iowa versus Michigan State game in Iowa City. Two hundred. I just, I just have no words to describe the absolute mess that game was, and just it sums up the the fun and. The sadness that is, and the thing that drives you crazy about college basketball. Two hundred and eighteen points in a Big Ten game combined. Yes, and it's it's a game that went to the final seconds. You know that decisions were being made left and right, shots were being tanked left and right, and it comes down. I mean, I I had a you know for as much as you know as a, a Michigan State student that I am, I had a blast watching a college basketball game like that. Yeah, I went a little bit um, different way for this. I can't believe that you picked the Big Ten game of the year to be a game where there was a bunch of offense. That's not the Big Ten that we know. The Big Ten game of the year is is a close slugfest, a rock fight. A rock fight. First team to 60. Right, exactly. (laughs) And that's what we saw in Ann Arbor just a couple days ago. I went with Wisconsin at Michigan. Um, It's hard with that regulation ending, man. 
The way I mean, like there were so many buzzer beaters that day in particular, or that weekend, I should say, because the day before, or was that the same day that? No, of, well, so the day before was obviously the Iowa MSU yeah. game where Sanford. So that we the, that weekend had a bunch. The Hunter Dickinson, I hate and to, the what, I hate to, state I hate to tell, I hate to tell everybody listening that Hunter Dickinson buzzer beater was the best of any in the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean that the was fact ridiculous. that the fact that he made that Arizona shot. Arizona State one was kind of crazy. But. Yeah, but he like nearly I, fell I, down and threw it up from you know. Yeah, but I don't no, know. I, the Hunter Dickinson one, man, he chucked that up, and I said, "No way!" I don't think he even I threw thought. My, I threw my phone. No I literally threw my phone. I was like, "Of all people to make that shot, that's such a good shot, such a cool shot," and. I don't even think he thought it was against going, like, and like I, I, this is part of the reason I put it in game of the year too is against Wisconsin with all the BS that happened last year with Greg Gard and Juwan Howard and then Hunter wears the freaking ski mask to the Wisconsin game. It was Jet, a must win and for Jet, Michigan. Jet too. Howard has a bullshit free Juwan shirt. Like honestly, I'm I I hate Michigan basketball and for what they have done this year is really annoying and I can't believe they're still fighting. They have a chance to win the Big Ten and I hope I honestly as a fan of Michigan State and not a fan of Michigan. I hope Michigan wins the Big Ten and still misses the NCAA tournament, which is entirely possible. Probably not going to happen because if they win the Big Ten, they're going to beat Illinois and Indiana, or at least one, and then they'll be in the NCAA tournament. But, um, yeah, that was the game of the year, in my opinion. That had a lot of, like, it was a low-scoring game for the most part until they went into overtime. Um, 87-79 was the final in favor of Michigan. But, um there were a lot of it was a lot of good defense but clutch shots at the end like in that final 2 minutes i think like every shot went in between the two teams i think yeah. they were combined like 8 for 8 or 8 for 9 or something and like that and they're not that. two teams like you just said not, not known for offense at all especially like wisconsin neither one of them is very very good like, <laughs> no, they're not like plain sim- simple. They're simply, both fringe tournament put, teams yeah. right now i think wisconsin is probably even out i'm seeing yeah. a lot of projections with wisconsin still in that's just crazy. I don't know. Even then, I give Michigan the upper hand. Before I mean, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Well, got I think some, they did now by beating them yes. twice. Wisconsin's or got or some once, decent but. wins at the start of the year. They beat a really good Marquette team. They beat Maryland, Iowa on the road. The Marquette's top five now. No, they they will be. Yeah, they yeah. should Marquette's, be. They should be. They, they beat they beat USC two on a neutral site. They had the one point overtime loss to Kansas on that fluke buzzer beater on what should have been an air ball. They beat Michigan as well. They beat Iowa. Uh, While well, they swept Iowa. That's pretty impressive for Wisconsin. So yeah. maybe, but either way, that was a fantastic game to watch. I had a lot of fun watching that one, um, even though the team we didn't want uh, ended up with the coolest highlight in pulling out the wind. Wisconsin was impressive down the stretch too. They're one of those teams where they make a ton of shots in regulation, and then they get in crunch time, and you feel like they yeah. they just can't find uh, the bucket. And they did. They, they they kept making a bunch of those. Um, I forget what the oh Connor. Gonna butcher the pronunciation. Um, a Segan, a Segian, um, I have no idea. Whatever his name know. is, the freshman for them. He had a huge. Blank. He had a huge game yeah. um, in that one, and he was really big down the stretch. He finished that game with twenty four points, so that was pretty impressive. Yeah, this was one of the hardest categories for me because just with our busy schedules and everything, usually there's something else on. I might be watching the Cavs or something. I don't. I haven't taken in a lot of these great games. I've heard about them, but they haven't been ones that I've tuned in to watch. I've been busy. I've been doing other things. But one I did turn tune into, and I do think is the game of the year, Purdue at Indiana. So the first time that these two teams played at Assembly Hall. Um, I watched that game from start to finish. That game was phenomenal. And when you're just taking everything that went into that game, obviously we know about the rivalry. Like These two teams, they hate each other. And Purdue was still number one at the time. And they come into Indiana, a one-loss team, and Indiana just beats them on the floor. It was punch after punch after punch. Indiana, huge bucket. Back down, Purdue would hit a huge, just like you mentioned in that Wisconsin-Michigan game. And it kind of felt like Indiana kind of got a pretty big lead. I think they're up by double digits or close to it at one point. Purdue fights all the way back. And then Indiana ends up taking the lead at the very end and holding on. I remember there was that crazy Jalen Huchifino scoop layup in transition. That was so nice. That was the best play of the day. Um, Indiana played great defense on Zach Eady. Basically made him irrelevant, especially late in that game. Indiana pulls out the big win. Little did we know they'd go into Mackey a couple weeks later and sweep Purdue. But Mike Woodson, baby. That game, that game at Assembly Hall, just with the environment, the rivalry, and then the fact of how good of a game it was, for me, that makes it the game of the year in my book. Honorable mention, Northwestern at Indiana, 84-83 yeah. win for Northwestern. 
Boo Booey had 26. Jalen Hood Shafino had 33. They were going back and forth. Um, that was when we didn't really know how good Northwestern. That was one of those ones where we're like, damn, they beat Indiana too? They yeah. just beat Michigan State. They just beat this team. They just beat, now they beat Indiana. Oh, my God. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, too, 18 points and 24 rebounds mm-hmm. in that game. That was a that was a slugfest, a really fun one. And I just, I love Boo Booey in a close game. He's my next pick after Tyson Walker, his best crunch time player. And he just talks so much smack, too. I it's so it. much fun, it. dude. Even even in East Lansing, you can't help but be like, hey, you know, he's Respect right. Him, he owns yeah. us. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so that, that was a fun yeah. game as well. My honorable mention, I will say, was the Maryland win over Purdue in College Park. That just looked like such a fun place to be at the time. <laughs> yeah. That was, was awesome. Like, I would die to be there. Northwestern beat Purdue at home, too. That was yep. a cool game as yep. well. Um, but that's going to do it for the awards part of this show and for the year. That's what we think uh, happened this year as we are now looking in the past of the Big Ten regular season. Only one more weekend to go, fellas. Saturday and Sunday are the final games in the Big Ten this year. One of those games will be Michigan State. Senior day, back at the Breslin Center. Final game, all three of us will be at the Breslin Center as a student covering that game. Uh, they're playing Ohio State a team that they just beat a couple weeks ago, but Ohio State's won back-to-back games. They got a nice win against Maryland last night, beat Illinois on Sunday in a game that I know shocked a lot of people. Um, but in terms of seeding for next week in the Big Ten tournament, Michigan State can still get the double bye, but they are securely guaranteed at least the first round bye because they have 10 wins. And no other team has more than one game left, and... The bottom teams. Well, I think Michigan's got two, but I think one of them might be tonight. Honestly. Well, I know, but like I'm saying, the bottom, the bottom four, I think right now are all the highest amount. It's Penn State with eight wins, and they can't get to ten. Oh, you're saying the bottom of the bottom four currently, nobody has more than one game left. I don't believe. I so. think that's correct. So yeah. Michigan State cannot play on Wednesday unless the Minnesota game got rescheduled. Unless that happened, but happening. it's not happening. But they could still get a double bye. End up not having to wait till Friday. They do need a lot of help. That's going to get into tiebreakers, which I have it all here in the document about the tiebreakers. I'm not going to waste your guys' time with it. It is <laughs> it's, way too much. It's it, crazy. It is, I, a, it is a rabbit hole that if any of you listeners want to look it up, I remember. For it, I remember but. for the football season last year when Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State were all good, and Michigan State beat Michigan. Um, Michigan, Ohio State beat Michigan State, and Michigan beat Ohio State. Yeah, and so we were like, if it shakes out, what happens? And I did like all the math and I read all the tiebreakers and it, it gets down to It would have been Michigan State had No 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 it, it, it would have been. been Ohio State because it gets down to I think winning percentage against teams either above five hundred or winning percentage just against West opponents and um then the next week Michigan maybe, State lost to Purdue and it didn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then I think Michigan I forget why it would have been Ohio State between those two, but it just I just was like, can you imagine? The funniest thing about the Big Ten football tiebreaker to me is if after seven steps, all three teams are still tied or two teams, you know what they do? Flip a coin. Well, that's what happens here. Yeah. If it gets to the fourth <laughs> like, stage. I just want that so no, bad. No, between two teams or three Anarchy. teams or multiple teams. There's tiebreakers laid out for if it's between two teams or between multiple teams, which for Michigan State, it's probably going to be multiple teams. We're talking three or more with the same amount of wins in conference. First, it goes to winning percentage, which obviously, or it goes to head-to-head first, and then it goes into like winning percentage and a bunch of yeah. other stuff. Um, I just want to see a coin The toss. last one comes down to, yeah. and that like the third one is win uh, one loss percentage against Division One opponents. Oh. So it's how many Division One teams have you beaten and lost to, and that's your record against those guys. And then even if you're still tied past that, which seems almost impossible... Then it's a coin flip or a designee who can literally just do whatever he wants. It'll be me. (laughs) (laughs) I will be the one to decide the fate. Who would be? Who would be the designee of the Big Ten to just just make a decision? You're the. You're a higher. You. You have to like. I think you'd have to get someone from like a foreign country. Who literally has no idea what they're doing. Look at these two has resumes and tell bias. me who's better. Like, get, like, Prince Harry to come pick. <laughs> like, what does Prince Harry care between Michigan State, Illinois, Northwestern, or, or who, gets, who gets the double buy, you know? Like, Just have the mascots Someone who has no knowledge of the Big Ten. Mike no, oh, yeah, have the mascots, like, box each other. <laughs> Look at Mike Castellucci. <laughs> but nonetheless, if, if any of our listeners want to go down the rabbit hole of the tiebreaker, feel free. We're not going to waste your time here. Uh, this episode's already been long enough, but Ohio State coming to town. Final predictions for the last game of the year. 
What do we have for Saturday? This Senior Day Ohio State matchup is a frequent one. We com- we commonly get Ohio State in one of the mm-hmm. last home games it's of the year. It's either Michigan State's coming to Ohio State for Senior Day or vice versa. Right. And it usually doesn't go well for either team that's on the road. <laughs> oh. uh, the last Ohio State home game that was Senior Day that I remember was Cassius Winston's Senior Day, our freshman yeah. year, the last game of that season because COVID <laughs> ruined our lives. Um I just this is a bad Ohio State team. It's going to be Senior Day. The Izone's going to be going crazy. Um, people feel good about this team right now with the comeback win against Nebraska and putting up 101 points in regulation against Iowa. I think Michigan State should win this game by at least 12, um, no less than that. I'm going to say 76, uh, 65, 13. No, that's 11. 76, 65. That's 11. Yeah, that's why I just said 76, 63, 13. Okay, 13 pointer. <laughs> I did uh, 71-62 for Michigan State. I say Joey has a 20-point game. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, he t- he picked. I think you picked that the last time. I picked that the last time. He, he ended, ended up against Iowa. He ended up getting 20 against Nebraska. Would that be that'd be Joey's what like sixth six? and eight games? I think because he didn't what have one of against the, of Iowa. The year, he didn't have be, one. He be, got like what 18 against Iowa. Would it be ninth of the year then? Is that what it is? Oh, he'd be close. He'd be yeah, Let's, close. Uh, you guys do your predictions. I'll get the research. Uh, I'm going to take MSU to win this game as well. As much as Ohio State is playing better, they they I mean, they beat a Maryland team at home, and Mar- we know Maryland sucks on the road. Like that, that's I mean whatever. They beat an Illinois team that was they're they're an enigma. I I don't even know what to do with that team. That's a very that's strange why I'm team. scared of them. That was a really bad. Like I even said it after that game. I watched Ohio, I watched that game Ohio State Illinois, and I was like, I'm caught in between whether it was a really good day and a good win for Ohio State because they did play well, or just an awful loss for. Was Illinois. that the game that Matthew Meyer was out? No, no, he, no. So, no. he was out because he no. drank six energy that drinks and got night caffeine poisoning. That was the night of poisoning. that game. So <laughs> really? after that game, they go back to Champagne, and that's when he gets caffeine poisoning. So he drank that six night. energy drinks after the Ohio State after game. After the game. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. Calm down on the Red Bull. Man. Right. Jeez, dude. It was five monsters. If, if there's anybody <laughs> in the country you would guess to drink six energy, energy drinks, it's Matthew Meyer. Yeah, but nonetheless, sure. Ohio State's had two good wins in a row. They're not really going anywhere. Um, they may be able to make some noise in the tournament if they continue to play well, and their freshmen do as well. Very young team. But Michigan State's going to get it done here. I think they're going to continue the 72-plus as well. I'm going with Michigan State 78, Ohio State, I'm going to say 62. And I, it's a 16-point. So I think it's going to be easy. 13, 14? 16. Mm-hmm. Oh, 78, 62. Yeah. I, I, I think they're going to pull away late. I think Ohio State might hang around for a little bit because, like I said, they got some young guns who can – Score. We've seen Michigan State start slow too, but I think slow, they're going to pull slow. away. They're going to pull away in the second half, and they're going to get a nice quality win over Ohio State. Also, I hate being right all the time. If Joey Hauser scores twenty against Ohio State, it would be his ninth twenty-point game of the year. Hey, hey! Shout out the research department. All right, well, that's going to do <laughs> it myself. this week on Impact Izzo. Next week, right before Brendan and I head down to Chicago for the Big Ten tournament, we will have a full bracket show where. The three of us, plus a special guest, Matt Merrifield of the Women's Beat, who's going to be heading with us down to Chicago, will be on. We're going to put together a joint bracket for how the Big Ten tournament's going to shake out. Make sure to stay tuned for that one next week. But that'll do it for us today. For Brendan Shabath, Luca Maloney, I'm Michael Markach. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.